All right, so today we are starting off with uh, a video. So the day before Thanksgiving, the jury came out with the verdict of the three perpetrators of Ahmaud Arbery's death, uh, claiming in fact that it was murder. And what struck me a lot about that clip was um, the, the parents' reaction to it all. Like, I know that they're uh, glad about the outcome of the verdict, but um, I don't know, just something about, uh, especially the, what the mother was sharing, like what, when she was saying like, God is good. It was it really struck me that she said that because um, even though justice was served, I don't know if I would be able to say something like that if my son was chased and gunned down and shot. Um, yeah, despite 
all that, she still said, uh, God is good. Um, it sounded like Ahmad Arbery's parents were, you know, very religious and they trusted in God the entire time. And they were still grateful people despite this horrible tragedy. And I kept thinking about this, like just to myself as I watched that on Wednesday, um, all throughout Thanksgiving day, like it was kind of bittersweet, right? Like, and that's kind of like the world we live in now. It's like bittersweet. And we just celebrated Thanksgiving and we have much to be grateful for, but there's still so much brokenness, right? There's still so much brokenness and corruption and racial injustice and uh, hate crimes. But still in the middle of all of that, right? Even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of injustice, even in the midst of chaos, we can still live as grateful people, just as Ahmaud Arbery's parents have modeled. So one valuable lesson that his parents taught me is that gratitude can still exist in the midst of suffering. Gratitude can still exist in the midst of suffering. But what are the things that prevent gratitude? What are the things that prevent gratitude? Um, and you know, so far these uh, past few weeks, as we've been going through uh, this gratitude series, we've been focusing on the things that uh, can make us more grateful people. Well, today we're gonna do the opposite and we're gonna focus on the things that uh, are obstacles that kind of get in the way of becoming uh, grateful people. So if you have your Bibles, would you go ahead and turn with me to Galatians chapter six? Um, and it's also up here. Yeah, so you can look up here too. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 10. Okay, uh, we divided it up into two here. Galatians 6, 1 through 10. And I actually forgot my physical Bible today, so I'm just going <laughs> to read off of here for us today. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Uh, let's pray again. Lord, as we search within our hearts, as we look inward, would you reveal the things that we have in our lives that become barriers or obstacles to gratitude. 
Lord, you call us to live lives of joy, not of happiness, because happiness is dependent on external circumstances. Joy comes from within, and this joy can only come from your Holy Spirit. And as we live lives of joy, we will live lives of gratitude. And in order to be more grateful people, help us to see and recognize those things in our hearts that block gratitude in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so today we are looking at the book of Galatians, all right? Now, uh, I've read through the book of Galatians before. It's not a very long book, but uh, when I read these verses again today or uh, this week as an adult, it just, it just hit different, all right? Uh, when I read it as a kid, I, I don't think it fully sank in, but now as an adult, it just, it just hits different. It's kind of like, um, I don't know if you, you've had like food as a kid or as a teenager and you're like, oh, I don't, I don't really like this or it's not that great. And then you eat it again as an adult and you're like, this is awesome. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like that for me when I read um, these 10 verses this past week. And uh, the book of Galatians is a really unique book, okay? It is one of the letters that Apostle Paul wrote to a church, and this time it's in the city of Galatia, okay? Now, the book of Galatians um, was written to the people of Galatia, and the way that these people got to this city is very interesting. Uh, very few of them are original inhabitants of that city, kind of like L.A., <laughs> Right. Very few uh, Angelinos today are actually like uh, natives of Los Angeles. In Galatia, many of them were descendants of a group called the Gauls. Okay, G-A-U-L-S, Gauls. They invaded Asia Minor in third century BC. So the Galatians' ancestors, uh, their grandparents, their great grandparents, were pretty savage people. They were invaders. They were greedy for land and power. In fact, many of them were mercenaries by trade, uh, which meant they you know, fought battles for money. A lot of them were trained to be soldiers from a very early age, and they even had these majestic bodies <laughs> uh, as ideal warriors. So the Galatians came from this kind of dark and violent past. Now, these are the Gentile Galatians, the, the Galatians who were not Jewish, okay? But then there was this other group of Galatians who were Jewish, right? Uh, they were Jewish Christians in the city of Galatia who were telling these savage Gentile Christian or Gentile uh, Galatians that they need to change their ways, all right? That um, they had to uh, become essentially Jewish in order to become Christian because these Jewish Christians thought that Christianity was just another form of Judaism because Jesus was a Jew and his 12 disciples were Jewish. And so they thought that Christianity was a form of Judaism. And so they, these Jewish Christians in the city of Galatia were telling these like savage barbarian Gentile Galatians that they need to eat kosher food, they need to grow out their beard, <laughs> okay, that they uh, need to dress a certain way, that they need to like uh, observe the Sabbath like very strictly, and then follow all these Jewish laws. And so uh, there was a lot of confusion about what it means to be a Christian in the city of Galatia. Now, it must have been uh, quite difficult for 
uh, both sides to accept each other's ways because their cultures were so drastically different. Uh, so here, this is part of the reason why Paul was writing this letter. He was teaching them what it means to be a true Christian, and it has nothing to do with becoming a Jew. Now, so a lot of the culture that these uh, Galatians, especially the uh, Gentile Galatians had, came, um, a lot of their beliefs came from their own culture, right? It got infused with their theology, just because that's the way that they thought. So one, one idea that they had was that like, if the stronger you are, the more blessed you are by God, okay? And this kind of comes from like Greek mythology, right? You were blessed by Zeus <laughs> if you had a strong body, especially if you're male, right? And so they literally thought that if you were uh, a weak person, that you were uh, less valuable, that you were almost worthless, right? And so they carried that. So these are some of the like messed up theologies that they would bring into their beliefs, into their Christian beliefs. And Paul is trying to correct this wrong way of thinking, all right? And in these 10 verses, uh, he's expressing to us, he's explaining to us uh, some obstacles that we have to living lives of joy or living lives of gratitude. And the first obstacle is this, okay? Isolation. This might be a little bit uh, surprising, uh, but the first obstacle, the first enemy of gratitude is isolation. In verses two and three, uh, Apostle Paul says this, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something they are not, they, deceive, they, they deceive themselves. If there is any verse that captures the 21st century better, <laughs> it's probably verse three, okay? Um, let me go back to the verse. Verse three. If anyone thinks they are something they are not, they deceive themselves. How often do we see people portray themselves a certain way on social media and it's totally not reality. Yet, they do this so often. <laughs> they like post things of themselves and uh, they portray themselves a certain way so often that they actually believe the lies that they tell other people. Now, part of the reason why isolation is one of the barriers to gratitude is because uh, when you isolate yourself, you don't have an accurate view of reality of, of the real world and also you don't have an accurate view of yourself you think of yourself a certain way and maybe you become entitled or maybe you maybe the opposite happens where you uh, kind of victimize yourself it's so easy to not be grateful if you're living in isolation one way that i um, can see this in my own life is when I was a teenager, when I was a kid, and even throughout my like, college years, I struggled a lot with depression. And when I would feel depressed, I would isolate myself. Uh, I would isolate myself in my bedroom. I would like kind of go down in this like deep dark corner in my mind. And it's almost like this like downward spiral um, of isolation, victimizing, which leads to depression. And when I used to think this, when, when I used to get in this like mode of being depressed, 
I would have this kind of victim mentality where it's like, the world is out to get me. It's me against the world. And it's not accurate to real life. It's not accurate to real life. And that's one of the ways that I was deceiving myself because I was living in isolation. And then the opposite could be true where people are uh, living in isolation and they're deceiving themselves and all they see is what they see on the screen. That is not real life, right? And all that they're portraying to others is what they want to put out there. So their image, their um, personality, their life, uh, their lifestyle is very curated, carefully curated to portray to the rest of the world. And when we do that, uh, it can even lead to feelings of entitlement because we think we deserve all of this stuff. We think we deserve all these uh, material possessions and successes and money that we have in our lives. So interestingly, uh, the first obstacle, the first enemy of gratitude is isolation. The other enemy of gratitude is this, comparison. Dun, dun, dun. No one struggles with this, right? Comparison, right? Verse four, okay? Galatians six, verse four. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. Mm. Let me pull that verse up again. Okay, verse four. Each one should test their own actions. Then they could take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. By show of hands, okay, uh, how many of you have struggled with comparing yourself to others at any point in your life? All right, yes. Okay, I guess just everyone but Paul, because Paul's awesome. <laughs> well, you're awesome. Um, I, this is like a huge struggle for me, okay, comparing myself to other people. But notice what um, Paul is actually encouraging us to do. He doesn't just say, don't compare yourself to other people. He says, test your own actions. Take pride in yourself alone, okay? Don't compare yourself to other people. If you're going to compare yourself, like compare yourself with yourself. Am I better today than I was yesterday? Am I loving my neighbors more today than I was yesterday? Am I pursuing God more today than I was yesterday? The only person that we should compare ourselves to is yourself. Take pride in ourselves alone, okay? Test our own actions, okay? And this requires a lot of self-reflection. See, the problem with comparison is that it minimizes self-reflection. You're actually looking at other people, right? And you're looking at, oh, uh, I want to be more like them. I want to be. And so you're actually reflecting on other people much more than you are on yourself. But when you take pride in your own actions or take pride in yourselves and like test your own actions and test doesn't mean like, um, you know, like you get a grade or whatever, like at school test means like examine. Okay. Observe closely. Okay. Like when you're doing um, an experiment or like a, uh, like a lab lab test. Okay. It's like, you're, you're carefully looking at, your own actions. There are not many things that I remember. Not, there are not many lessons that I remember from my premarital counseling days, like 18, 17 years ago. Oh my God. 
16 years ago, 17 years ago. Um, but one valuable lesson that our uh, friend and licensed marriage and family therapist um, taught us is to never compare ourselves with other couples. Okay, um, as a couple to never compare ourselves with other couples. And I'm not going to ask if couples in here do that because I don't want you to get into a fight later. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that was a really valuable lesson that he taught me because when we compare ourselves with other couples, it never leads to a good outcome. Because if you're comparing yourself to another couple and you think you're better than them, <laughs> that makes you arrogant, right? Like we're the best, they suck. Right? <laughs> right? Oh, we're so much funnier than they are. Oh, they're so boring, right? That, that really doesn't, you know, accomplish anything, right? It just makes you more arrogant and more like uh, big headed. But if you compare yourself to other people and uh, you think they're better than you, that just makes you feel insecure, right? Like, oh, we suck. Oh, look how hot they look <laughs> in those uh, swimsuits. Or, oh, look at their, their vacationing in like Bora Bora. And we're here doing boring things, right? Uh, when you compare yourselves with other people, it never leads to a good outcome. It either makes you arrogant or insecure. The best way that we can be inspired and motivated is to compare our, uh, is to test our own actions and to take pride in ourselves alone. Compare ourselves with ourselves only. And the last enemy of gratitude is selfishness okay this one is probably the least surprising in verses uh, 8 through 10 it says this whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, um, when I was younger and I read these verses, um, I had a difficult time accepting it because it just didn't sit well with me. It didn't feel, it didn't feel true because I thought that those who you know, if, if you truly reap what you sow, right? I was only thinking of like material possessions. Like, because selfish, greedy people oftentimes end up with a lot of money, <laughs> right? And a lot of possessions. Like when I was thinking, when I was reading this, I was thinking like, well, if they're so selfish and greedy, then why are they so rich? Or like, why doesn't God take everything away? But it's actually not talking about material possessions. It's actually talking about spiritual blessing. Now that I've been a hospital chaplain for um, over a year now, I obviously a lot of the patients that I visit are old. I meet so many of them who uh, end up having a lot of money in their bank account, but they don't talk to their kids. They have a terrible relationship with their kids and they, they don't care anything about their money. All they talk about is the regrets that they have of not being a better father, not you know being more present in their kids' lives or uh, not having any friends, particularly like men. Like men have a hard time like maintaining friendships and like being close to their children. And uh, like 
when they're sick and dying in their deathbed, their money does not matter, right? All they care about is the relationships that have, have, could have been better. And so uh, ultimately what I, what I understand this, these verses to say is like spiritual blessing. And this is the harvest that um, verse nine is talking about. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And even if you reflect on your own life, doesn't it seem like the most grateful people in your life are also some of the most generous, the most kind, and the most selfless people that you know? Oftentimes, it's the people who are selfish and greedy and entitled that are not really grateful. Um, I was reminded of this last night, uh, and if I'm sounding a little sluggish, it's because it is. Uh, last night, I got paged to the hospital. The page came in or, uh, around, mid, uh, around uh, 9 o'clock p.m., so I went in, and uh, there was a family there, and their dad was um, pretty much dying, and uh, after like three hours, the dad died. And uh, we, at, at Methodist Hospital, we have this uh, room called a viewing room where they clean up the patient uh, after they uh, passed away. And um, they take him to the viewing room and they put like, you know, clothes on him and um, the family could come and actually stay for a while and say their goodbyes, like, and not be rushed to do so. And so it took about an hour to get the body ready and, um, uh, take it down to the viewing room. And this is like 1 a.m., right? And uh, there, it started off with four family members. And then they started calling their like cousins and then, you know, an announcing it to their uncles and aunts and stuff. And more and more people came. So after like four hours, uh, there were like 12 people in the viewing room. <laughs> um, I was, a part of me was like, annoyed. <laughs> It sounds so bad. A part of me was annoyed because it was so freaking late. It was like 4 a.m. I was like, oh my God. Like there's like more people coming. But I was, re I was uh, reflecting on this. I'm like, this man must have lived a really good life. He must have been so loving. He must have been so kind for all of these family members to come out in the middle of the night to say their goodbyes. Um, and they were there till 5 a.m. <laughs> so that's why I'm like a zombie right now. And I was thinking like, as I was driving home early, early this morning at the butt crack of dawn, I was thinking, uh, when I die, I wanna be like this man, right? I wanna live a life where I've loved a lot of people, I've been kind, I've been generous, and um, I want to reap the harvest that I've planted. So, Today, uh, in closing, I want to try an exercise, okay? Um, oh, uh, there, is there a part in the bulletin that says remedies to enemy? Yeah, okay. Okay, so remedy number one, I'll just go through this real quick because I want to try an exercise together. The remedy to enemy number one is community, okay? The opposite of isolation is community. And this is like intentional community, like this church, all right? 
It's not just like a bunch of girlfriends that you go out clubbing with every night. Okay, that's not a community. Okay, <laughs> okay, it's like where, where you could actually genuinely share um, struggles, you know, joys, um, gratitudes, things like that. Okay, so the remedy to enemy number one of isola uh, isolation is community. Remedy number two, uh, self-growth, okay? Test your own actions. Take pride in yourself alone, right? Don't compare yourself to other people. Compare yourself to yourself. And that it's what that looks like is self-growth. And lastly, enemy the remedy to enemy number three is selflessness. That is probably not a surprise. Selflessness. All right, so... Um, let me go ahead and uh, get this ready. So uh, I wanted to try closing today with a time of meditation. I know usually, you know, we pray every Sunday. Meditation is a little different, okay? Prayer is, you know, you're having a communicate, uh, you're communicating with God, you're dialoguing with God. Meditation is different because um, meditation is more like um, an emptying of the mind, okay? So I invite you to close your eyes, take a deep breath, and I will ask you one question at a time to reflect on and then to let it go. And it's okay if we have some distractions, everything is allowed and nothing is out of place. Take a few more deep breaths. first question that we, we are reflecting on is how are you isolating yourself? How are you isolating yourself? And then slowly let that go. The next question to reflect on is how are you comparing yourself to others? How are you comparing yourself to others? And then slowly let that go.
slowly let that go. And the last question to reflect on is this. How are you being selfish? How are you being selfish? And once you have that in your mind, slowly let it go. Lord, we lift these things up to you. We ask for your Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, and to speak to us. And remove these obstacles from our hearts. And help us to live lives of gratitude, lives of joy, and lives of Christ-likeness. Amen.